and welcome to episode number 194 of the Savvy Social Podcast. This is a show dedicated to passion-led online business owners who want to learn how to use social media as a tool to grow your business. I'm your host, Andrea Jones, and I'm fiercely committed to helping you understand both the how and the why of social media marketing so that you can build communities, create connection, and make your difference in the world. This podcast is brought to you by Syndable, which is the all-in-one social media management tool that my team uses to schedule our posts and analyze our social media results. You can try them out for yourself for free by going to onlinedre.com slash syndable. And I'll put that link and any links that we talk about today in our show notes, onlinedre.com slash 194. I'm super excited to bring today's guests on the show. But before we dive into that, also a quick reminder, if you haven't yet, grab our free course, onlinedre.com slash free. It's your start to finish access to social media strategy. So you get all of it. Yeah. Free 99 plus captions and graphics and more. Um, so head on over to onlinedrea.com slash free. We like to think of this as our Costco sample size version of what our programs are. So <laughs> gobble it up. Love that. <laughs> and with that, Jess, Elsie, welcome to the show. Yay. Thank you. How are we you? We are glad. So glad to be here. Yes, I'm happy that you guys are here. Um, for context, can you each introduce yourselves individually? And then we'll talk about She Podcasts in a moment as well. Um, let's start with you, Jess. Give us a little 411. I am Jessica Kupferman. I have been in digital marketing and advertising since 1999, which is a very long time. Um I was doing advertising sales and then graphic design and then web design and then social media consulting. And then while I was doing those things, I started my own podcast. Um, and then we started a group, which then turned into a business. And so I am the CEO of that business. She podcasts. I live in Delaware. I have two children, no pets. <laughs> well, you have the crabs. Unless I know, they but are I'm starting to past. hate them. Oh, well, oh. still you can you two, you you cannot, you know, delete them out of your life cuz they're there. I mean, I could, but I would feel bad. Um, yes. but anyway, yeah. So that's <laughs> uh so yeah, that's me. I love it. I love it. And Elsie, over to you. Uh, I'm Elsie Escobar. I am a die-hard podcaster all the things. So I've been around for over 15 years in the industry. I started podcasting in mid-2006. Uh, so I've been around the block a few times. So coming on here in a few months, I have been in the industry for 16 years, which is a long time. Um, and I've worked in almost every aspect of it. Um, I co-founded She Podcasts with Jess. Um, mm -hmm. And I also have been working for Lipson since around 2008, late 2008. And Lipson is, you know, one of the longest standing podcast hosting and distribution platforms out there. I am the community manager over there. So I do a lot of, you know, online content for communities and whatnot. And um, I'm a, you know, I'm really passionate about bilingual podcasting or podcasting in different languages and being really an advocate for those that are often not seen, possibly underrepresented communities or often historically excluded folks in, in this space are the ones that I really like to shine up. And I am am from El Salvador, Central America, and I'm an immigrant to this country. So that's also a huge passion for me to help mentor those that are 
either from my country or Latino all the way together, Hispanic, Spanish speaking, all that thing. I am very much uh, with my hands into those things as well. Yes. Love it. And that also brings me to the big question of She Podcast. So I don't even remember how I first found She Podcast, but I remember joining the Facebook group and going, oh, these are my people. Because (laughs) prior to that, podcasting felt very like technical and bro-y, if that makes sense. And um, I was getting, like, I wanted to start my own podcast. I was getting feedback that made it feel so complicated. And so almost like more in the radio space than like a a more casual user. So that's what I love about She Podcasts. But kind of what started the Facebook group or the community initially? And how did it grow to what it is today? That's Jess. Jess did it. So um, I just realized when we introduced ourselves that I had a business before a podcast and you had a podcast before a business. That's so interesting. I never realized that before that we kind of came to it from complete opposite ends, but um, we met in an online class, Elsie and I, and then um, we both ended up at a new media conference in Vegas. And there were a few women podcasters there, not a lot, like six, I want to say like six or seven. And I found that their advice and feedback was so much more valuable than you know, the sessions that I was going to and attending and the supposed gurus that I was supposed to be asking questions, like their answers were just sort of, like you said, technical and broy. And like, I wanted more, I don't want to say holistic advice, but just, you know, somebody who understood that, like, I didn't have an entire studio set up in my basement with mixers and, and things like that, that I wanted easy solutions. I wanted doable solutions that still made me sound professional, but that didn't take up all my time. And so you know, those lunches at that conference made me want to keep in touch with them. So I started a group and then, uh, you know, I added Elsie to the group because she was there. And then shortly after she was like, oh, I have some other women. You don't mind if I add them? And I was like, of course not. And then it was like a hundred people. I mean, like a hundred <laughs> people that yeah. came into the group. They were all lovely um, and they were very supportive and nice. And then, you know, Elsie and I didn't really ever I mean, the first two years, I would say we didn't advertise it at all. Like, like yeah. people just talked about it. Oh, she's joined this group. It's so helpful. It's so effective. And it just kind of grew a bunch. And then I had a baby. It was around 500 people when I went on maternity leave. When I came back, it was 1500 people. Like it was growing like freaking. And like the business group that I had had pretty much stayed the same. And I think that the female entrepreneur space was well infiltrated, whereas the female podcaster space was like non-existent. Right. So I sort of started to really focus and dedicate my time to supporting those people because they seemed to they seemed to be bombarding Elsie like mm-hmm. and she couldn't handle it all and her job, you know, so we just started working on that together. And it just has grown organically in the last couple of years to 21,000 women. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so much farther than the Facebook group now, right? We've got the live event. We have Mm -hmm. our membership, all of those beautiful things. I keep saying hour. Like I feel like I'm (laughs) it's our, it's ours. It's ours. It's all, I think, you know what, to to some degree, Andrea, I mean, yes, we do, you know, work together to some degree too, because full disclosure, her company helps us with our social media and has for a long time. So we do have a working relationship, but also I think that one of the things to, to really address is, 
even when we do our live events or whenever we do something where we, we do something special for the group, even if it's just a meetup at another conference, what tends to happen is people make it their own and they think like it's ours. It's that feeling of I've known you. This is the thing we're like bringing to life, the thing that we created together. And that mm -hmm. has happened. So there is a sense of ownership that is not just Jess and I. It kind of has created its own thing. It's like an entity. Yeah. She podcasts, it's a thing too, right? So I'll give you a perfect example of that. In 2018, I had a booth at Podcast Movement in Philadelphia. And it never occurred to me that I would have to like run the booth. I just was sort of like had a booth and I thought it would be exciting to have a booth and just, you know, welcome people. And there was never less than five people in that booth. Like they used it as a home base to meet each other before they went to lunch. People were using the chairs to, you know, help other people who were walking by. Like I didn't have a problem staffing it. And I never once said, will you sit here and watch the booth? Like people were just there to watch the booth. And I don't even know that it was a conscious effort to like work it with me or for me. They were just there. And so if I had to pee, they were like, okay, I'll be here until you get back. And it was just that. So like there is a profound sense of group ownership with all the things that we do, which I which I would think is really special about those people. And to add to that, it was really interesting because to watch people at the booth that just essentially just said, would you, it's kind of like, hold my purse while I'll, I'll be right back. It was yeah. that kind of a, a vibe. It wasn't like, oh, she's here to take over. And then when Jess would leave. Yeah they would be amazing. Like they would sit and go yeah. like, this is the group. This is the handout. <laughs> yeah, and they would yeah. go down to all the things that they <laughs> like she podcast stands for. And then, and then all of a sudden Jess would come back and, or I would walk by and they're doing a full on presentation of she podcast is a thing. That, and yeah. like, they would sell it. And it was I was great. like, wow, that's yeah. brilliant. So yeah. it was, and it wasn't so even our great. close friends. I mean, it was also yeah. like there were women that were there from like Switzerland that were like, mm -hmm. here, I'll I sit here until you come back. You know, it was like, it was really cool. Yeah. What do you think makes that, like, what do you think cultivates that level of trust in a community? Like, why do you think people feel safe to come into either the Facebook group or any of the community spaces that you've created and they feel safe enough to be vulnerable or to be trusting in that way? That is a good question. Do you have insight on that else? Um. Not to take all of the, you know, thing, but seriously, I think leadership is really important and the energy that you put into things and the way that you cultivate the presence that you put forth. And I think one thing that both Jess and I are, are we're full of our personalities. So we're very solid on who we are as human beings. And I feel that the synergy of our energies and what we represent and how we step into the world particularly started to cultivate that kind of a sense inside of the group. So there was an element of, you know, knowledge and fun and kind of, you know, bossiness because Jess is really strong with the things that she can put together. Like I'm a little, I'm not wishy-washy because I, as she knows, I'm really no, big headed about things, but <laughs> I know is. exactly what I want, but I have more trepidation in saying things she does not, which is really great at being able to balance that out. But we also do it. We don't take ourselves too seriously in the sense that we always come as we are. And, and I think part of it is that we, we help people not feel like they're not enough somehow, like you're perfect. You're great. Just come and hang out with us. So it's very inclusive in that respect. Mm -hmm. And at, you know, back in the day, mind you, 
Things have really changed in Facebook groups, particularly within the, these last few um, years. Like I would say maybe 2018, like 2019 and onward, because Facebook has really changed a lot of the algorithms inside. And then, and also our group has, I, I, I did some stats, Jess. I think that I haven't, I don't remember where I wrote them. I, I wrote an article, I think it was for Samsung, uh, the blog at Samsung, and I did some math and it was a mind blowing how it was from one year to like, it, it was really incremental growth. And then from like 2018, it was like 60% increase of yeah. like, and it was That's just crazy. like, what in the world? Right. And part of it is, yes, we do have a great community, but also, you know, Facebook helps. Facebook has an algorithm that really helps bring more people in, which is a Thank blessing you. and not sometimes. But as far as feeling safe, like leadership is important, but I also think that there's two things like Elsie and I are very transparent about the things that we're struggling with, especially when it comes to the group. Like we've asked questions about how to deal with stuff on our podcast. We've mm -hmm. talked about trying to decide if we want to do this or this and what would you guys like? And, and I think it helps them feel like, you know, their input is not just a game of engagement, but because we really value their opinions and see them as equals and there's no hierarchy. We've never had a podcasting hierarchy of we know more than you. Um, I wonder if that is because we didn't really try to monetize this group for years. Yeah. And so there was no underlying like agenda to, to like get their money or have them show up somewhere or do anything for us other, you know, the whole purpose of it was to support one another. And even when we did try to create a business out of it, that didn't change really. Like we still uh, fundamentally just want to support them and help them support each other, regardless of if they want to attend or join one of the things that we're doing. I also think that, um, I think that being transparent about our own lives too, and like, talking about what we're doing, where we've been. We are also very transparent about our friendship on our show. Mm. I mean, like we don't really hold back. And so I think that establishes a pretty, um, a pretty strong feeling of trust. They feel they can trust us. Therefore they feel safe to be who they are. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing is like, even though Elsie and I don't have a lot in common, one of the few things that we do have in common is the underlying passion to do the right thing. And mm. so we always want to do the right thing or, or, or make sure that we're doing the right thing for other people. And I think when you express that over and over that we would rather do the right thing than benefit from something, mm -hmm. I think that it makes a group feel more comfortable because they know that we fundamentally have their best interests at heart and not our own. And I don't know that every group can say that even if they're not monetizing, I don't know that every group can say that. You know, if it's not well-led, it can feel like the members of the group have an agenda. If it is well-led, but there is an agenda from the leaders, it also doesn't always feel safe because you get the feeling that if, you know, one wrong move and you're, and you may not be there for much longer, whereas like we don't have any of that stigma at all. Oh, that stink, mm. the stink of capitalism is, is not in our group, so... <laughs> And we try to be as careful about being able to really, and I think that that's what it is. There's a difference between having a smaller group 
um, you know, maybe in the thousands, which I still is pretty, that's a pretty decent group in the yeah. thousands, you know, it's a pretty decent group, like just like maybe even a thousand. It's one kind of being able to um, take care of the group and admin it and stuff. But once you start to hit a threshold of maybe like 10,000 and above, then it becomes a different beast. Like then it mm -hmm. becomes something else, like anything else with that is like in a business, I'm sure that's the same thing. It's like you can handle X amount of clients. You're welcome. You know, you're pretty cool with it. And the minute you scale up and now you're having to deal with maybe twice as many clients or you're trying to really scale your business up, you really have to think outside the box of how you're going to be able to manage this. Then a team is involved. Outsourcing is involved. Being able to ha have different things to pay attention to. And also, you know, when Jess started to um, really work on the event, it's essentially, that's its own thing. You can't it's do... Business. It's yeah, you it's cannot all of a sudden manage all of the things in the same way that they were happening mm -hmm. before. And, you know, the amount of people that were commenting in the group for so long was so many people. I mean, it was crazy where I, I used to be in there all the time answering so many questions. And then it became it became too much. It was just like there's there's too much stuff in here. I can't handle this anymore. Yeah. And, you know, what I like about kind of your approach, both of your approaches to this group is it's very community first. It's very value led. And yeah. then the monetize monetization came later, like years and years later. Um, so I'm curious, like that shift, was there a moment where you went, oh, now we're going to monetize or was, or was it just the idea of the event came first and then you realized it was going to be a business? Like how did that conversation go? Like other people kept saying like, why are you not monetizing this group? Mm -hmm. And for a long time, you know, Elsie has a full-time job and I've already had a business partnership go um, belly up. So I was just like, if Elsie has a full-time job and I don't, that will cause friction, which will ruin the group. So therefore I'm not going to put forth any more effort than she is, because if I do, there will cause resentment and jealousy. And I just didn't want any of that to happen because our group and, and even our relationship is really special. So for a long time, I resisted. And then when other conferences started to happen and we were doing workshops around those conferences, we would try to monetize that. And it was, it was okay, but for whatever reason, it wasn't like the answer to all our problems. And so, um, you, you know, then we tried to do like a VIP day at our house. And I think marketing that when it was just the two of us was very difficult. This was before we had hired, you know, we didn't even hire your company until we were doing the event. Cause I mean, up until then we were juggling everything ourselves. And I think that made it really hard to have a business just doing it ourselves when, you know, like she said, it's hard to do all the things. And I was doing all the things and trying to monetize and it just didn't work. Um, the event came because someone asked me a question in an interview about if I had a million dollars, what would I do with the money? And my answer has been the same since I was in high school. I would have a huge party and invite everyone I know to come so that they could have a great time with one another because everyone I know is the best person I know. And so um, I was in an interview in, I think, 2017, and somebody asked me that question. I answer it, and then I go, oh, I need to have an event. <laughs> like, it just hit me, like, out of nowhere. <laughs> like, oh, that's the answer to why, you know, to, and then, and I already knew that Elsie didn't want to. So I waited until I just felt like I had to do it. And I just said to her, like, I'm going to do an event because I feel like I need to do it. Like, you don't have to be involved. You can be involved as much as you want. 
And she's like, cool, I'm not involved. And I was like, cool, we're good. But I still deferred to her on, you know, important decisions and made sure that it was an event that reflected both of us. And we, and we did sort of plan it together. I just left out like the nitty gritty for someone else to deal with. It wasn't her. Even then, I didn't even, I didn't know that like that year was the first year that I filed for like a business license. Up until then, oh, wow. we didn't have a business. We tried Patreon. We had tried all kinds of things, but that the event was the reason I filed for a business license. That's when it became a business because I was getting sponsorship checks that I just couldn't cash in my own bank account. I felt, <laughs> you know, like it was just like, mm, this seems wrong and not tax tax healthy. So, um, so yeah, so I opened a business bank account and I did all the things so that we would have an actual business, but leading up to that, we were just trying to figure out the right way to make money for us. And it just always seemed, it always proved to be too difficult. And I think that's because it was already bigger than we could handle before yeah. we even started. Yeah. Had we decided to make it a business from the beginning, you know, we would have had our stuff together and it would have been like a strategic plan, but we were kind of like, okay, there's 15,000 people in here. Let's have a party. And then yeah. it was like, whoa. Yeah. So I wish I could say that it was more strategic or even give advice as to how to plan a happy accident. You can't though plan a happy right. accident. You just sort of have to, I will say this though. We didn't plan a happy accident, but we did notice a need before other people yes. did. And she even noticed it before me. Cause when I started the group, she was like, I've been wanting to do this for years. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I was like, cool. It took me five minutes, but okay. Yes. Um, I know I, that's me and that's her, but it, yes, but yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. To add to something here, Andrea, which I think is a huge differentiator and maybe, yes, it might seem like, gosh, it took us so long to actually make it like real as a business and all that stuff where people are like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. But you know, in all honesty, Jess and I's relationship and the way that she podcast flourished came because we needed it as women. We needed it as friends. We were each other's support as human beings to get through mm -hmm. our days of having little babies and having to do all the things and having to really be real and, and completely sometimes complain and make each other laugh and cry and deal with the every day life experience that we had. So I kind of didn't want to talk about business a lot of the time because she was my friend. And I, yeah, it's always been a very therapeutic, very just soulful interaction that we've always had with She Podcast. And so moving into the event, moving into what people feel when they touch what She Podcast does for other people, specifically She Podcast Live, it's not about, I took my podcast to the next level. I am now, you know, they get that thing of feeling seen and feeling heard. And, and it's a, it's a personal mental health, so. holistic experience of being themselves. And that I feel is the most important thing about She Podcast, differentiating than anybody else that we lead with the humanity aspect of it and with the, it's all right to just kind of want to come to a conference and like not go to the trainings, go sit yeah. by the pool. It's, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, we, we don't care. I actually just thought of something, Elsie. Um, you know, I just realized like you and I are, even though we have a, you know, special friendship and we have certain things in common, we really don't have that much in common as far as our lifestyle is concerned. And I wonder if that sets a precedent 
for the rest of the group to just blindly accept each other, no matter what the differences are. No, not in a oh bad way. No, I no, know. But I just mean I, like, I, I just mean like, like it's one of podcasters in general is one of the few, that's one of the few groups of people where if I'm standing in a room full of them, the chances of me having everything in common with one of them is very low. They all <laughs> podcast about completely different things. Right. They have completely different lifestyles, completely different you know, spreads of knowledge in their brain. And Elsie and I are no exception. Like she is a mountain dwelling goat hat. You know, I always say like a goat having organic eating, you know, whatever. And then I'm like a suburban giant car driving nail polish getting like, we're just different. We're different, (laughs) but we're the same in that we, we want the best for each other and we you know and we're similar to age that probably helps and like and we also we have a similar value system and i feel like all women have that same value system and that is what's most important not how we're different or how we're alike i was just thinking like we're so different i wonder if that sets the tone as well right that it's not like we're one type of woman right yeah, and yeah, yeah everyone should be like us if they want to be in that group like we're two totally different types of women and therefore anybody can be in this group <laughs> and, and thrive That's right true. right i don't know i just something i thought of i mean i definitely think that has an impact i see that in the group and even um i remember going to the event in 2019 that, that was the very first one mm-hmm. um and just being in the room and seeing all the different types of people um, who showed up like, okay, I'm hormonal because I'm recording this while I'm pregnant, but my eyes okay. are like leaking. Oh. Um, oh. It's oh, there's something so special about it that, that not a lot of people can capture. And you were able to do that, not just in a virtual community, but bring it like in person as well, which I love. You know, oh. even before that, I used to look at the speaker page on the website yeah. The speaker page on the website made me feel how you're feeling now because it was the first time that I saw a hundred women of yeah. all different shapes, sizes, and colors, and they were the only ones speaking. No Ira yeah. Glass, no John Lee Dumas, uh. no Cliff Ravenscraft, just <laughs> women. And that made my eyes leak as well. I mean, it's yeah. very inconvenient when that happens, but it does happen once in a while. No, it's like, you know, and it, it was really weird because there, it's one of those things where you're cons- like, especially with Jess was so involved, obviously, because she put the thing all together by herself, essentially. And then I mean, and I had zero concept of what was going to happen at that 2019 event. And what is going to happen? Like, it was so weird to know that people are coming here for us. Is it going to work? And I remember when folks started to arrive there was zero trepidation from people. It was just like, here I am. Oh my God. And it was just joy. It was joy from the moment people came in till the moment they left. And there was no, like, I don't know where I got to go. Like everybody kind of felt like it, it was weird because I thought, do, do, do you guys know each other? They, people were behaving as if they totally knew each other. And I'm like, no, we just met in the elevator. But she like, and it was just like, What? Okay. And so you kind of just felt, and and you know, what was the other thing that was shocking too? the level of people who were just like, I just want to volunteer. Like they were just, they were attending the event and they were like, I just Mm want to volunteer. How, where do you want me? We're like, oh, we need help in here. And they're like, okay, we'll be there the whole time, 24 seven. And you're like, (laughs) okay. 
By the end of the planning process, Drea, I was like, you know, the hotel could burn down. And I feel like these attendees would just grab a sleeping bag and be like, we're just going to hang out in the parking lot. Is that okay? (laughs) We're just going to hang out. We don't need any food. Don't worry about us. We'll be fine. And so actually as an event planner, that's very comforting because, you know, you want to give everyone a good experience, but you just, I have a feeling that they are intent on having that regardless, which is nice. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, very much (laughs) that vibe. And honestly, I have friends who I've met because of this group, like people where we will go to other conferences and just be like, please come to this one because we need this vibe to like follow the other events. That's so nice. Thank you. It is it is so powerful. Um, I am curious though, from just like a switching gears to a marketing perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you both have feelings about social media in your own way. And obviously we use that as a tool to grow the business, but from a personal perspective, talk to me about, you know, how you feel about social media. Where do you see it going in the next couple of years? You go, Jess. Oh, so I have some unexplained changes in my social media attitude in, in the sense that like, I'm not sure what happened to me. I mean, I know what happened to me, but I'm not sure why it changed my outlook on social media. But I was a social media consultant since like 2008. I worked at big companies and helped them set up their first Twitter accounts and things like that. Taught them how to use it for business because no one was really doing that. You know, help people set up their very first Facebook pages because that was new around that time. And at that time, I was the biggest cheerleader for social media of anybody that I knew. I was a, you know, I was a, um, before that had been a graphic and web design consultant. And I figured out how to be personal enough where people were having fun interacting with me. And then when I was like, Hey, look what I designed. All of a sudden I would have clients, you know, like people would just be like, Hey, my brother's aunt is having, you know, but it was really like friends from high school. My brother's aunt would be my aunt. That's a terrible example, but I'm just saying like, <laughs> People would send me their people who needed design and it really worked well for my business. Um, And so I was constantly cheerleading about how to have a personal brand and how to, you know, become successful, whether or not you have a business, you know, and then, you know, it shifted. Well, I mean, I had, you know, a family tragedy in 2016 and then I wasn't on it as much. It's like, but that also is like when Donald Trump was elected president. So I feel like, I feel like a lot of change in social media happened that year. And I, now I'm just saying it out loud. Once again, I'm realizing that this concurred at the same time, which I didn't realize until this moment. But in that moment, all of a sudden you couldn't trust what you were reading on. So like up until that point, I felt like in safe hands whenever I was on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, there was no, I mean, you know, Instagram ish. I felt like I knew all the people I trusted all the people I knew most people had good intentions. And then all of a sudden it was like underlying trickery in corners. And I felt like, Ooh, I, I feel like, yeah, I don't want to, it wasn't that I didn't want to be involved in that. It was just sort of like, I don't know. I didn't want to be seen as much. I sort of wanted, I don't know why, but I, I emotionally distanced myself from the, you know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. I think that I always wanted to make the world, you know, it's kind of like leaving a place better than you found it. And I wasn't feeling a lot of those feelings. Then I wasn't feeling like I could post anything of value or that was positive or even that was negative, but an important lesson. Like I was just sour (laughs) and like, I didn't, and like on top of being sour, there were, there was sourness looming already without my 
input. And so I just kind of wanted to leave it alone because I didn't want to make it worse for people. And I knew that I might. And so I try to be very, I try to be very conscious about that, that, you know, if I don't have anything funny to say, or if I don't have anything poignant to say, I try not to say just because whose benefit is that to just be like, everything is terrible. Like that's not (laughs) helpful for anyone. It's helpful when you are teaching a lesson or when you share an experience. Yes. But just to spew negativity. So, so I kind of like got out of that. And then the more she podcast came into focus for other people, like the more it became, I don't want to say notorious, but like, you know, the more notoriety that we got, the less I felt like I could clown around because Mm. I didn't want to ruin that experience for other people. So I don't want to curse too much or make too many sexual, like, it's not like I'm not trying to be myself, but I just, I'm very conscious of the fact that more people are watching than they have before. And so I struggle the most now with how funny I can be, how outspoken I, I mean, certainly I've never been outspoken about politics because I mostly don't care, but like, I, (laughs) I struggle with how how irreverent, let's just say that, how irreverent can I be and still be a person of respect in most people's eyes? And although I don't care what other people think of me, I do care what other people think of the work we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so I struggle with that. I struggle with that balance. I didn't used to before, but social media has changed a lot since 2008. And I, I want to leave it better than I found it, I guess. So I I have a hard time doing that and still making dick jokes, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah, they're still funny, but you know, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I I love what you said about leaving it better than you found it, because I think that that sentiment could go a long way these days. Mm -hmm. Um, Elsie, do you find the same thing? I do. I love that she stated it from that perspective. You know, I've had the ability to kind of I was a very I, I still am a very early adopter about a lot of these technologies and engagement, you know, uh, when all of these social media things came out, I was in it, all of the ones that are dead, I was part of, (laughs) you know, and it was so great, because back in the day, this, it was really small. And it's how I met a lot of connections. I mean, a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot of connections, I was really in there. It social media provided so much for me early on, and it was me really too. my salvation when I was um, when I had my my first child in two thousand and eight. Uh, using Instagram around that time, it was so great to be able to feel like I had a, a way to express myself and to be myself, and all of these wonderful things and memories. Looking back at all those posts and. You know, I've, I work in social media, so I manage a lot of social media. I managed the um, She Podcasts. I also do a lot of management over in the Lipson side of things. And I have seen a massive shift because people are a lot more serious about social media. And to Jess's point, there's a lot of things that you could get away with before that you can no longer get away with. And now, you know, in the way that she stated it, because of that 2000 and, you know, 2016 um, thing that happened at the end of the year there. Um, that it which was, we do not speak of. Yes. And <laughs> part of it is that that fundamentally changed a lot of things where social media became news and it became or tweets. Now, I would say social media tweets. Facebook posts, Instagram posts became news. That was not a thing before that. So now Mm. there are blogs or even 
I'm saying reputable organizations, not to say that blogs are not, but like larger publishers out there that have a lot of clout where they will use tweets, Instagram posts, whatevs as quotes, as stances coming Mm. from companies that are essentially what you would just have a press release conference about, you know, like they, yeah. people are like the press conference and they would, you would just talk to people and this is what we stand for. And this is what the, you know, and now that's not happening anymore. And if you're a CEO of a company and you randomly make a tweet, it could come back and bite you in the behind. Even if you were just making a joke, it could be taken out of context. Is that mm-hmm. really what the company stands for? And then all of a sudden, what you're saying is reflective of is news. Is, is news. And it can be, again, it's like if I say something, it could be like, oh, she podcasts, doesn't do this. Or she, and then you're mm-hmm. like, well, no, 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 that's me. That was, yeah. I was just saying, I didn't like that you know, or something. And then it can be taken to that end. And so I'm, you know, before I was also super on board with what Jess was talking about, like leading with yourself, being, you know, authentic and and being just out there in the personal, personal brand. I still do too. I still do too. But maybe I'm just having an identity crisis, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. For me, I feel like I would like to go back to being able to go on social and be very random about the stuff and go like, I really love, you know, this recipe I just made and just put that out there and not be strategic and not mm-hmm. have to be like, I'm going to now do a Twitter thread about what I think <laughs> about the industry of podcasting, because like, really, I don't want to do that. If you want me to give you the scoop, pay me the money. We'll have a phone call. We'll have a session. I'll do a webinar, but I'm not going to be in there crafting all this stuff and then having you assign expertise or clout or power because I'm tweeting. I don't want that. I don't want to give that power to social. And so I would like to just keep that to myself. Like I am a human being that wants to protect, you know, (laughs) I got my that t-shirt from a wonderful uh, black owned t-shirt maker, um, and I wore it on stage at She Podcast Live, and it said it's about protecting my peace for me. And that's really what it's about for mm. me. It's the fact that I want to live my life in a way that is helpful to the folks that I live with. And I've been finding that it's like this pressure to like have to constantly be on. And I'm like, I don't have to be talking on social to be relevant, which is not something I really strive to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am, and I always will be without me having to go tweet about it. Ooh, quote it. <laughs> but that's an aspect too, is like when we started, there was no making content for content's sake. Yeah, like right. now I cannot tell you how many in the last three weeks posts I've read of the best books I read in 2021. Like right. so many posts like that. And it's just because you don't sit around, you know, like people are sitting around now going, well, what will I post about today? Or what can I schedule for next week? Whereas like, I mean, there was some aspect of that then, but it was like, not so much a churn, but just like a, you know what I mean? Like it's a churn now of, you know, typical thing. And especially on LinkedIn, I think, because I find myself on LinkedIn, just getting annoyed that I'm constantly being taught something. Like you can't just... (laughs) Like you can't just say you, I'm either congratulating you or I'm thanking you for the lesson. Like this is so boring to me. I mean, 
And I mean, you would think I would like that considering I'm not looking for negativity, but it doesn't feel real to me. It feels constructed and I don't want that. I mean, and also another aspect, like I was just thinking like when I, when social media first started, I was married four years. I've now been married 16 years. I was 35. I'm now 47. Right. right. Like I was a this different person truth. at 35. I was like full of piss and vinegar. I, oh my God, Andrea, you're going to have to talk about some of that stuff because I've been looking at the generational usage of social mm -hmm. and I yeah. can actually see like the way that we, it's, you know, right in your mid thirties to maybe, maybe even to mid forties or possibly early forties. That's when I feel at least right now, my personal opinion, women start to find their voice and it's when they want to take up space. It's when they want to go talk about all the things that they're 40. about and this is wrong and that's the thing. And like they found yeah. it. And then when you get to your late forties and start to go in your fifties, you're like, I've yeah, said it. They know. I know exactly what I'm about. <laughs> yeah. I have I no need time to prove for myself. That. I don't I need to take prove care myself of other and things. I don't have time to convince you. Yeah, that's exactly. It. Like who, yeah. And so yeah. it's a feeling. And so I see all of these folks pontificating and I see especially the younger women and I go, oh, she's at that stage. <laughs> she's at that stage where she's out there. That's so cute when they take the, a which stand. Is great. And I'm yeah. not like in no way, again, we, I think we all go through this yeah. and, mm -hmm. and then you learn when you get older, it's kind of like I'm kind of stepping back and I'm really proud of my middle-aged dumb. You know, I'm yeah. I'm part of I'm I'm 50 now when this goes live. I'm 50 years old when this goes live. And I'm so proud of that. And I need not anybody else to tell me anything more about that. And so it's very strange. It's a really strange feeling. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's so relevant to what everyone's feeling. And I'm hoping that if we're all collectively feeling this, then we can all collectively like change social yes. media for the future. I don't have any True. idea of what that would look like, but I'm really hoping that we go back to that community element and the discoverability element, like meeting so many cool people, mm -hmm. that whole thing. I love it. Oh my yeah. gosh. This has been such a great conversation. Jess, Elsie, yeah. for the people who want to like get more of your goodness, where do they come to hang out with you? I mean, they should go to ShePodcast.com because that's where our podcast is. And if they want to hear us yes. blather on about stuff, that's probably the best way to go. Um, and then also the group, Facebook.com slash group slash ShePodcasts to meet all the wonderful people that are in there. But I mean, you can find all the things, our membership, our event, our podcast, everything's on our website, ShePodcast.com. And we're also on social at ShePodcast everywhere. All the things. Yep. All the things. Beautiful. Thank you for this also. Yes. This was such a great conversation. I feel like this is going to be one of those episodes where we're going to have to listen to it again and again. Um, so I thank you that. for being on the show. You bet. Thank you. And if this is your third time listening, that's dedication. Thank you. <laughs> thank I you for love that. It. I love it. <laughs> Uh, and thank you, dear listener. We love your support of the show. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Give us a five-star review. It helps keep us at the top of the marketing charts. And that's because of you leaving us those reviews and listening to the show. Stay tuned. We have more episodes coming at you very soon. Every Tuesday, we release an episode. So we'll see you right here next week. Bye for now.